It's 11 minutes before the hour, and you are listening to Raven Radio KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, December 27, 2021, and I'm Catherine Rose with Raven News. It's been a whipsaw year for management of the nearly 17-million-acre Tongass National Forest, as the Biden administration works to undo policies of its predecessors. Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick has this roundup of 2021 and the latest on the fate of the 20-year fight over the roadless rule in southeast Alaska. Last year, the Trump administration won plaudits from Alaska's elected leaders, exempting southeast Alaska's national forest from the roadless rule, which restricts road building and development. In real terms, it opened up about 168,000 acres of old-growth forest to potential logging. But while championed by Alaska's congressional delegation and Governor Mike Dunleavy, the roadless rule rollback was criticized by tribes, conservationists, and industries such as fishing and tourism, which argued that more clear cuts would be short-sighted. Here's Austin Williams, an Anchorage-based attorney with Trout Unlimited. There's absolutely no reason for us to continue to clear-cut log old-growth forest. It's a a critically important resource and, and something that we need to be taking much better care of. That was shortly after word came from the Biden administration that the exemption would be overturned, restoring protections to about half the largest national forest in the country. Southeast Conference's Robert Venables says it was another U-turn from a political transition in Washington, D.C. It was very disappointing to see the continual back and forth every four years. It wasn't until November that President Biden's Agriculture Secretary, Tom Vilsack, who oversees the Forest Service, released more details of its plans. I don't know how many times the uh, Vilsack can announce the same thing and have it sound like news. That was Juno attorney Jim Clark, who helped lead a lawsuit, later joined by the Dunleavy administration, to preserve the roadless rules exemption. It was dismissed by a federal court. But the upshot of the November announcement was the opening of a two-month comment window for the public to weigh in on the future of the Tongass. In a filing published in the Federal Register, the Forest Service noted that Southeast timber industry is a fraction of what it once was. Tongass National Forest-related logging and sawmilling fell from just shy of 200 jobs in the early 2000s to around 60 workers in 2018. This comes as the commercial fishing industry holds steady and the cruising and independent visitor sectors expect significant growth despite hiccups caused by the pandemic. Additionally, Southeast residents who rely on the federal lands to hunt and fish for their food had argued for more protections. Don Hernandez chairs the Regional Advisory Council on Federal Subsistence. He lives on Prince of Wales Island and spent hours taking testimony from subsistence hunters, fishermen, and gatherers across the region. It had just become pretty obvious over a long period of time that the areas of the Tongass that were most significantly impacted by past logging were all suffering uh, harms to subsistence uses. So far, the Biden administration's actions are a return to the drawn-out rulemaking process that could be undone by a future president. More permanent protections for the Tongass would likely require an act of Congress. The Forest Service's comment period over its proposal to return roadless protections to the Tongass remains open now until January 24th. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. Jim Moore has been fishing in southeast Alaska for over 50 years. And last month, he was honored with the Friend of the Fleet Award from the Alaska Trollers Association. I spoke with Moore about his passion for fishing and his hopes for the future of the salmon fisheries. I'm Jim Moore. 
and I grew up in in the state of California. Well, I didn't really grow up till I came to Alaska, but uh, I spent the first uh, 21 or 22 years of my life in California. Moore arrived in Sitka in 1970. With a steamer trunk full of art supplies, a violin, and one dollar. That summer, he fell in love with commercial fishing and someone else. After I'd been up here about two weeks, a friend of mine, uh, her name was Pam, contacted me and asked if she could come up and, and see Alaska. And so I had arranged with uh, the skipper that she could come out on the boat and uh, and be like our cook for a couple of weeks. For some strange reason, though, even though we've known each other several years in California, we just sort of, sort of, we fell head over heels in love with each other and ended up uh, getting married. Moore's Southeast story has a lot of chapters. The couple moved to Haines in the late 70s, and in the 90s, they even owned a restaurant there, the Wild Strawberry. They later moved back to Sitka. But the through line in Moore's 50 years in Southeast is trolling. Early on in his fishing career, Moore helped establish the Seafood Producers Cooperative. We, we got the property that SBC is now on and built a, a dock and a, and a small building there. And so that, that, was, that was kind of gratifying to be a part of that. Moore serves on several boards, including the Alaska Trollers Association, which presented him with the Friend of the Fleet Award. And while he was hesitant to get involved with the more political side of fishing at first, he became passionate about advocating for trollers while serving on the Insurah Board of Directors. And there was a kind of a mission. Trollers were below their allocated uh, levels of benefit in the uh, associations, in the aquaculture associations. And I wanted to do what I could to try to, you know, boost that. You know, I owe, owe a lot to John Barry. He's, he's a saner that was on the board at that time, a, you know, a real true leader. He came up with the suggestion that, uh, that we develop a new project specifically for trollers, a chum salmon project in uh, in uh, crawfish inlet, we were able to uh, to come up with a with a plan where everyone would benefit. Over fifty years, he's seen the industry go through a lot of changes, highs and lows. When when I decided to buy my boat, many many people said, "Oh no, that's not a good idea. Trolling has had its uh, its its heyday and its its." collapsing now there's no future in it you know get into something else you know we've seen that turn around and we've seen uh you know kind of uh, this cycle of boom and bust uh, uh several times over the years you know people people have said at different times there's no future in it but somehow or other we we see things turn around and and uh, and that's what i'm hoping for now our, our industry is kind of uh at a low point. Nevertheless, Moore is hopeful for the future of trolling in Southeast. I am so blessed, so privileged to be able to be part of an industry that you're connected to to the planet in a, in a sense, you know. Your success depends on how well you're able to intuitively connect with what's going on in a realm that you can't directly observe. 
And it's not just about finding success and finding the fish. For Moore, it's also about those moments of solace in nature. He remembers one morning 20 years ago when he anchored his boat in Basket Bay. I had heard that there was a run of steelhead that ran up a river in Basket Bay, but I'd never been in there. You run by these places for years, decades, but you never take the time to go in and explore. I thought, well, why not? I'm going to go in and just, just to explore. Moore paddled to the mouth of the river in his skiff and found himself in front of a limestone archway. And what he witnessed next is unbelievable. A killer whale swimming upstream. Moore says he made eye contact with the whale before it jumped out of the water beneath the arch and began rushing back toward the ocean. Now picture this, you know, the sunlight is is glistening, you know, off its back and it's and it's horn like like diamonds and 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 and, and the uh the cliffs uh, and the arch there, you know, steaming from the early morning sunlight and this thing is rushing at me, straight at me. And I'm thinking it's probably going to get me. <laughs> but it didn't it, it came by, again, so close. And I'm not exaggerating. I could have stepped onto its back. And, you know, I wanted to. I wanted to step off onto the whale's back and grab hold of that and see where it took me. And now for a look at the zone forecast for Sitka and Port Alexander. A winter weather advisory is in effect until 9 a.m. this morning. Also a chance of freezing rain and snow today with highs around 30 degrees. Northeast winds to 10 miles per hour and gusts to around 25 miles per hour. The winter weather advisory is also in effect for Angoon, Cake, and Yakutat this morning. Coming up later this week in and around Sitka, a Christmas bird count planning meeting is coming up at 6 p.m. this Wednesday at the Alaska Raptor Center. The Audubon Christmas bird count is this Sunday, January 2nd. This weekend, Sitka National Historical Park Visitor Center is closed on January 1st. Sitka Ham Amateur Radio Club is meeting at 2 p.m., this Saturday at the Sitka Sportsmen's Association. You can find all those events and more on our community calendar at kcaw.org. I'm Katherine Rose, and this has been Raven News.